All right, well, welcome everybody. Glad you're here this morning. Um, I've got about four at each table because our format this morning is going to be that uh, I'm going to teach and we're going to read some scripture uh, for a spell, but a lot of our time is going to be processing some questions uh, at the end. So, uh, and feel free to get up and get snacks whenever you need them. Uh, I'm going to open them in prayer. Father, I just thank you for uh, the men that are here this morning. And uh, Lord, we ask that your spirit would be uh, moving freely amidst us. Uh, Jesus, that you'd have your way with each man here today. And Father, that you would uh, remind us over and over again that we are your adopted sons. And so, Lord, uh, come and move freely with us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, guys, uh, this, uh, this is part of a series we're doing on but God moments. And uh, one of uh, my greatest but God moments was uh, getting into a small group with some men and being part of a men's ministry in my local church. And uh, as we look around the landscape, uh, first of all, we haven't been able to be together in a long time because of COVID. And secondly, as you take a, just a very uh, cursory view of the world, you can see that uh, fatherhood, manhood uh, is most definitely under attack. Um, there's a spiritual malaise, there's a spiritual battle that is uh, all the forces of evil are arrayed against the father and his son. And that translates to those same forces being arrayed against you and your children and uh, you and your wife. And uh, it makes being a father uh, one of the most difficult things. Um, that, that you can possibly undertake to do. And uh, Barna did a study of Christian men, and they were given some choices of uh, what is uh, the, uh, you know, what is the description of your masculinity? Uh, and they were given kind of choices. So here's, here's just five sets of choices. I feel threatened rather than hopeful, 44 to 31%. More men are feeling threatened than hopeful. Endangered rather than thriving, 39% versus 28%. Again, more feel endangered than thriving. Confused rather than vibrant, 47% versus 26%. And then in crisis or stable. And uh, the numbers there were 40% saying, I feel more like I'm in crisis than I than in 30% said they felt things were stable. And then finally, regressing compared with progressing and regressing won 41 to 32%. So we can feel it uh, in the spiritual uh, atmosphere. There's a war against fathers, mothers, families. There's a doctrine flooding our world now that any combination will do. Uh, we can have two men parenting, we can have two women parenting, we can have two trans parenting, uh, and that uh, raises up uh, in us, if we're normal, some anxiety, some fear, lay on top of that the pandemic, and no wonder that being a man and being a father is so difficult right now. It's a super opposed work. So 
My goal this morning is to remind us that but God wins. But God wins the spiritual battle every time if we lean into Him. So we're going to uh, look at some scripture. Uh, we're going to uh, look at some uh, questions together. And I, I hope in two hours we leave here and you guys will feel refreshed, encouraged, and uh, you will be able to have some really good conversations at the table. And I'm going to be asking you to share personally at your table th this morning. So let's just remind ourselves that everything that gets shared here stays here, that we uh, keep in that place of confidentiality. That good, that good with everybody? Yeah. All right. Awesome. All right. Well, let's uh, dive in. I'm going to start in Titus 2. And uh, let, let's read this passage together. Uh, it's on the top of your page there. Yeah, there's a handout in the middle. One handout is the notes. The other handout is a prayer that I'm going to give you a little bit later on in the conversation. So let's read uh, Titus 2, verses 1 to 8 together. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what's good, and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. That's the very words of God. And um, this morning we're going to deal with the first two verses and verses 6 to 8. And just so you know, and if you haven't planned this, Marianne is going to be dealing with verses uh, three to five with our women next Saturday morning. So uh, make sure they are welcome to come. <clears throat> so uh, why are we here? Well, you're here this morning because uh, you're in a war. And you uh, probably know it. And that's, that's awesome. Many men don't. They don't realize that there's an enemy waiting to have their lunch day in and day out. Uh, but the Father put you here, and he put you here to lead. He put you here to bring shalom into the chaos around you. Uh, he put you here to serve like Jesus, to join Jesus in taking back what Satan has stolen, and to overcome in the power of the Spirit to point others to Jesus. And so this is uh, really a calling on us is to gospel nobility, that we, through the gospel, can become noble men of honor um, who are not in our own strength, but in the strength of Christ, uh, taking a stand and making a difference in the world around us. So that's why we're here this morning. Uh, let's remind ourselves how God made us. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, uh, let's read that together. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So this uh, text reminds us that we are made up of three parts, a spirit, a soul, and a body. The spirit, soul, and body are interconnected. And then until we place our faith in Jesus Christ, our spirit is dead, inactive. Uh, It is uh, therefore the body and the soul that are running the show until uh, the spirit comes and wakes us up, regenerates us, and uh, we cannot, before that happens, we cannot hope to control our body and soul. But when we truly trust Jesus, Holy Spirit comes and uh, the Spirit comes to life, which then gives us the power to be able to choose the right things, gives us the power to be able to defeat uh, the enemy. And because we have totally the authority of Jesus, uh, and it gives us the power to win the battle. Uh, which uh, here in Thessalonians, uh, Paul is talking about uh, sanctification or being made holy. So the battleground is the soul, our inner life, our control center, and that's made up of all the things that move in our decision-making and our direction of our lives, our mind, our will, our emotions. uh, The Jews would say the heart. The Greeks would probably focus on the mind. The Jews would probably focus on the heart. They're both important. Memories, imagination, and thoughts. And when we have a combat loss uh, in the spiritual realm, then that affects, in our souls, that affects our bodies. And we know that from Proverbs 17.22 that says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And that literally these things affect our bodies. Now, in terms of the enemy, uh, Paul reminds us that we have the flesh, we have the world, and we have the evil one. And the flesh and the world are ways of living that the, the enemy, Satan, the adversary, that word in Hebrew means the adversary, uses against us. So let's just talk a little bit about the flesh first. Uh, the flesh is our unspiritual body and soul. Galatians 5.17, let's read that. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. And this is, uh, this is the reality of spiritual warfare, day in and day out, between uh, what our spirit and what the Holy Spirit wants to do, and what our flesh wants to do. The flesh is the combined decision-making influence of an unspiritual body and an unspiritual soul. So if we have quenched the spirit, if we have uh, got ourselves into a repetitious pattern of sin, we're probably going to be seeing uh, lots of defeats. If we're staying in the place of confession and repentance and being filled regularly by the the Holy Spirit, then we're going to stay in the place uh, where the unspiritual body and soul, our flesh, is not winning the battle. And uh, Paul gives us some pretty simple uh, treatment, not only for the flesh, but for the world in in the rest of Galatians after that passage. So in Galatians 5.24, he says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Unfortunately, there's no silver bullet as it pertains to the flesh except to crucify it. And that means, you know, uh, stop! You, you've heard the you've heard the story of the two wolves within, and the wolf that gets fed will win. And the same thing in, in our in our flesh. 
Uh, if we feed the flesh, then it's going to defeat us. If we feed the spirit, it's going to win. And at the same time, in, later in Galatians in verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 14, Paul says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. So this is the crucifixion that takes place as we jump into the kingdom gospel. As we receive the kingdom gospel, as we receive the spirit, we have the capability to exchange. Uh, you know, Paul Washer said that, you know, the, the uh, decision to follow Christ is not adding him into our lives, but it's exchanging our old life for his life. Right? We're exchanging, and we're not just fitting Jesus into the world or to the life we have, but we're exchanging the whole life for Jesus. And then we can, we can be crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live, but him who lives in us. So that's a little bit on the flesh. Uh, on the world, this is the system of values which is opposed to God. It's led by the evil one. It's also known in the book of Revelation as Babylon. Uh, and throughout the scripture, it began at the Tower of Babel. Actually, it began in the garden, but uh, it was manifested in a big way in the, in the Tower of Babel. So Jesus, in John, in the, in the last talk he gave the disciples before he went to the cross, he talks about the world. And he says in John 14, 30, the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. The same thing about us who are in Christ. The ruler of the world is coming after us, but he has no claim on us because the claim on us, the only operating claim on us is Jesus. So we're with him in that. John 15, 19, a little bit later, he says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, uh, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So when we see uh, hatred uh, to the ways of God, to the ways of Jesus, to the ways of biblical manhood, to the ways of biblical sexuality, we shouldn't be surprised. And rather than get offended, we should probably recognize, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. There is just there is this idea that they uh, hate us because of that. And so we have to be wise. And then in John 16, 33, he said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we are destined, as men living in gospel nobility, we are destined to overcome the world. Amen. So crucify the flesh, overcome the world, and uh, now let's look at Satan and how Satan... Uh, is operating. In 1 John 2, 15 to 17, uh, John outlines uh, the basic strategy uh, uh, that comes out of the world system, and this is what Satan uses against us. Let's read this passage together. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, 
but whoever does the will of God lives forever. This is all about living as a disciple of Jesus, right? This is, this is the, the charge that John, that Peter, that Paul, that Jesus, they are all saying the same thing. So knowing these evil strategies, relying on Jesus with gospel power, we can learn to win the battle. And we can learn uh, Satan's ways. And the, the first thing to know about him is he always attacks first at the point of our identity. If you are a man, if you are a good father, if you are a good husband, if you are a follower of Jesus, why do you keep slipping up? So he always starts with identity, and then he deploys these three strategies. So let's look at Adam and Eve first. By the way, it sounds awesome when a bunch of men read the word, right? Oh, man, that's so good. All right, let's read this passage from Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not, not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The word of God. So in this foundational passage of the fall, we see that Satan begins here by twisting God's identity. So he starts by making God look stingy. And then he attacks our identity, baiting us with things like your eyes will be opened or you will be like God. And the crazy thing was they were already like God. They were made in the image of God. So they were already there. And uh, note the tactics. Okay, so let's pick up from John's text at the top of the page. The lust of the flesh. She says the tree was good for food. The lust of the eyes. It was pleasant to the eyes. And the pride of life to be like God. To be wise. So these tactics uh, have been going on since the very beginning. And if you look at this story, you can see, first of all, the passivity of Adam. He had been given the command by God before Eve was created. And he was given responsibility uh, for her. And he obviously told her something about the tree. Uh, but he seems to have added to what God said by saying, don't even touch it. So he was thinking probably to himself, well, if I put a fence around the, 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 the law God gave me, then, then she, won't, she won't sin. Um, we're not sure because it doesn't say, but what we do know is that Satan attacks Eve. He starts with Eve. And he starts uh, with Eve, and in the middle of that, Adam remains passive. Adam can interject here, could do a lot of things, 
and uh, later in the story, it isn't until Adam eats that their eyes are opened. So she eats, and she gives some to Adam, then Adam eats, and then their eyes are opened. Why? Because God gave the command to Adam as the leader of the family, and God was waiting for Adam to be accountable uh, to that law. So you see here the, the leadership that Adam is given, he abdicates. This is a pattern that you see all the way through the Bible. The most famous case is King Ahab and his queen Jezebel, who he is passive and afraid and fearful and anxious, and she takes the, the reins of power and she leads into the killing of Naboth for a vineyard. She leads into all kinds of uh, worship of the Baals, and she leads the entire nation into the tank uh, because he is not doing his job. And she also attacks the most uh, fatherly prophet that we have, which is Elijah. And Elijah is afraid of her. And Elijah runs away after destroying all the prophets of Baal, after God sending fire on the mountain, uh, we see that uh, Elijah is afraid of her. And uh, he does get some encouragement from God. He has this amazing father ministry to Elisha. He then uh, is uh, the one who is referenced at the end of the Old Testament, that uh, the spirit of Elijah will return in the spirit and restore the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children. So Elijah represents the father spirit. You know, he, he fathered his son Elisha well. He was prophesied by Malachi to be the one who came back, and he did. He came back in John the Baptist in the spirit of Elijah, and John the Baptist said to Herod's wife, you can't have her. That was your brother's wife. You can't have her. And what happens? She gets... John the Baptist beheaded. And that battle between the Jezebel spirit, the evil one, and fatherhood, manhood, all that stuff continues. And as we, if we remain passive, then we will be subject to that very same uh, muffling that Satan wants to achieve that he achieved in the garden. Okay? So when we think about this, think about that original situation, and at least for me, I, I, was, I spent much of my married life uh, in a passive place, working hard, get home, not ready to tackle parenting problems, not ready to tackle uh, discussions of important issues, my wife just wanting to chill out and be by myself. That's passivity. That's passivity. And so when we think about this, this satanic strategy, it's good to know what they are. And we're going to look at Jesus now, and we're going to see how he uses the same strategy with Jesus uh, in the wilderness and the temptation of Jesus. Uh, so let's take a look at that uh, in Matthew 4. All right. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. You guys can read it with me. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, 
Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So again, we see the same strategy. The devil attacks his identity, if you are the son of God, and he uses the same three temptations. He uses the lust of the flesh, where he says, tell these stones to become bread. And by the way, he's using these temptations, uh, asking Jesus to wield his power uh, for himself rather than for others. So uh, tell these stones to become bread, and Jesus responds to him out of the word of God in Deuteronomy. The lust of the eyes, throw yourself down so angels can lift you up. This would make Jesus look really spectacular. This would be a huge win uh, for him. This would uh, have all the most wonderful appearances that Jesus could hope for, because then everybody would know he's the Messiah. Everybody would know he's special and how awesome he is. And then uh, the pride of life, the kingdoms of the world I will give you. And the, the pride of life there for Jesus to be able to have ownership of the whole world and all the glory that comes of that without going to the cross. So this is a, this is a temptate right in the center of his ultimate ambition uh, is to bring the kingdom and is not for himself. The ultimate ambition of Jesus is to deliver the kingdom to his father. So it's not for himself. So, but he, the enemy is getting into this and, and saying, uh, I, can show you, uh, I can show you a shortcut. So uh, we can think of this, as the lust of the flesh, we can think of them as appetites. The word lust there means hot after. Hot after food, sex, drink, pleasure, luxury, basically to indulge our uh, bodily appetites. The lust of the eyes is all about appearances. It's being hot after the latest clothes, the latest cars, the latest houses, or the latest in reputation, uh, it's to look good. It's to uh, have that everyone admiring you. And then uh, finally, the pride of life. This is ambitions, where we boast in achievement or power or influence. This is uh, the master of the universe syndrome. This is uh, being in charge, being the captain of my soul, being in charge of my own destiny, writing my own life story, whatever, uh, whatever versions that comes in. So 
this is, this is uh, and I, I realize I've been going through a lot of scripture here, but I'm assuming this is fairly straightforward, that, that, that this is clear and everybody understands that Satan is attacking our identity. He's using our flesh and the world, and his three primary strategies are uh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. I'm going to stop there and just any questions or anything that needs to be clarified. Hey, yeah. One thing that uh, in the scripture we just read, Satan knows the word because he came back to Jesus said, <coughs> written in quoted scripture. Yeah. He even tried to use scripture in this Yes. Yes. And uh, he's, he's uh, uh, yes, so the, the, the enemy does know the word but he often uses it incompletely. So he's quoting Psalm 91 there, but he's, he's only quoting a part of it. Uh, so he will use partial scripture, partial truth, partial, uh, you know, obviously his deception strategies are always subtle and there always is a grain of truth in them. Otherwise, nobody would buy them, right? Nobody would buy them, but he's, he's giving us uh, He's giving us enough there, but that's a great point, Lou. That that the the, the enemy uh, knows the word. Any other questions or comments? Well, yeah. I just, I mean, we're not we're fighting an ancient battle. I mean, this is the original one, and it's yep. It feels like we're in something new, but we're not. So we're not searching for new answers or what do we do next? It's, it's yes. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, this is an ancient battle. And what I've tried to do here by covering a fairly large swath of scripture is to give us a feel for uh, not only what happened in the beginning, the fact that Jesus overcame that uh, moment of temptation, and that the apostles later are writing about this and saying these are the, these are the strategies that the enemy is, is using against us. So we're, we, we, can really, we can really know and, and sense that this isn't anything new. There's nothing new under the sun. But the enemy does have the power of deception. And that's the only, he doesn't have, he has real power, but it's all based on deception. Um, it's all based on deception. And, and we know that uh, enemy demonic beings who fell with Satan, and Book of Revelation says about third of all the angels in <coughs> that God created went with Satan. So uh, they're outnumbered two to one, but they actually, there are millions of them and they are capable of oppressing, attacking, whispering thoughts in our ears and uh, causing us to doubt and causing us to question the identity of God, causing us to question our identity. So just to put a little bit of perspective on this, just thinking about, my own uh, uh, temptations as it pertains to that. I, I want to talk about uh, the way that I was enslaved. For me, the lust of the flesh was porn and slavery to porn. Sex addiction. The lust of the eyes, appearances, that, that manifested itself with me in fear of man. Wanting to please people. Uh, I, I would say the, the entire G infrastructure is designed to want to win approval, uh, to have young people come in and work their tail off and <clears throat> succeed and, and win approval, and, and that feeds into 
lust of the eyes, it also feeds into the pride of life. Uh, but ultimately, to have a sense of control, to, to be able to be in control, to have financial freedom, to, have, to be able to do what I want to do, uh, to retire when I'm young, the whole American dream of basically being financially independent enough that you can do whatever you want to do and when you want to do it. So that, that brings its own brand of slavery, its own brand of uh, that. But that, that, was the, uh, that was the way it was before I came to Christ. But still, daily, I have to watch and still daily, uh, I know if I go into uh, a Kroger store and I see the uh, Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition, uh, you know, I can see that red bikini from a thousand yards. And I know if I go and touch that thing and open that thing, I'm a dead man. And I know that. But I still feel it. I still feel it. And uh, it is the, the, you know, the grace of God to starve that and to get filled with the Holy Spirit and to know that that is not an avenue of life. And to have, after millions and millions and millions of repetitious failures, and now after hundreds and hundreds of repetitious successes, I think I'm finally starting to learn, okay, God's got this. Right? All right, so let's talk about appearances. You know, the whole idea of being an effective pastor uh, of serving the flock here well, of dealing with all of the pressures that COVID brought and uh, people on this side of the story and people on this side of the story praying for unity, moving, uh, trying to do that, uh, do that job of shepherding well and just feeling the impossibility of it and feeling the largest amount of stress you know, that I've had in 18 years has been a year and a half during COVID, or two years during COVID, and always, always facing that challenge and that, that possibility of fear of man, of trying to please people, and, um, you know, had, had some failures during, during the time of COVID, and uh, got myself to a place of uh, anxiety and moving ahead with things and um, that's the basic story of Leslie's departure from Marymount Church is my failure in that regard and that 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 sucked it was hard but I know where it comes from and I know uh, that you know and this is not to say that we're going to be without failure having have this information because I had this information for a long time I've taught on this before but we, we have to constantly be watching because the enemy, uh, you know, the, the, the section we read in Matthew, in the Luke section, it adds the words, until an opportune time. So the enemy wasn't done with Jesus and he was going to come. And you can bet the enemy was talking to Jesus on the cross. You're a failure. You're going down. Daddy's gone. He doesn't love you anymore. You can bet that that was happening full bore on the cross. So, uh, and then ambition, just to, uh, you know, to uh, see the, the progress in, you know, when I first started and even uh, over the years, 
did, we did not see, MC, MCC was growing, but it was growing slowly. And you constantly are asking yourself, like, what am I doing wrong? You know, what are we missing here? Because we should be, we should be growing, we should be, th th this is a fantastic community. We should be growing, and so I can see uh, in that constantly uh, that, that demonic attack on, on ambition. Uh, and wanting to be effective and wanting to be recognized as being effective. So that's just for me a couple of ways to kind of open this up and hopefully give specific examples of uh, where I am struggling and where the enemy tends to attack me. And you're going to be discussing that in your groups in a minute. But before we get to that, uh, I want to move on to strategies to win. And uh, this is interesting. This uh, occurred to me uh, this year uh, on our Israel trip. Uh, we use uh, the passage here in Joshua. Let's read this passage together. Joshua 1.7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Uh, a wonderful direct encouragement from the Lord to Joshua. And um, it happens that there are three Hebrew words in this passage, which uh, we teach people when we go to Israel. Uh, the first one is when it says there, meditate on it. Uh, that's the word Hagah, H-A-G-A-H. -H. Then further down the passage, be strong and courageous. That's the word Hazak, H-A-Z-A-K. Uh, Hazak. And then uh, the Lord your God be with you wherever you go. That is the word halak, H A L A K. So let's look at each of those words. You know, God is telling him, uh, Joshua, to haga the word. Say haga. That is the sound a lion makes when it's devouring its prey. It's a, it's a murmuring, uh, kind of a grumbling sound that is. Uh, this pure enjoyment of eating uh, the, the prey that it has captured. And it, 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 is a, it is a picture of reading the Word of God and chewing on it and praying through it and really getting it inside our bones. And that also is very conducive to the process of abiding in Jesus, hearing Jesus speak, knowing the truth, it's helpful in rejecting lies. It's helpful in praying the word. It's helpful to grow in humility and confidence in God's authority and protection. Because as you get deeper and deeper into the word, you realize how many times he saves sinners. How many times he comes back in grace and mercy over and over and over again. So we have great, it, it increases our view of God. And that has the effect of shrinking our problems. So uh, that's strategy number one, and we saw Jesus using that uh, tremendously. 
uh, as he uh, was responding to the enemy with quotations from the book of Deuteronomy. The second part, hazak, say hazak. That is the idea of encouraging each other, encouraging, being encouraged and encouraging each other. God does it to us. God can encourage us and he will encourage us in the word. The, the Bible tells us that David encouraged himself in the Lord. So even when we're alone, we can encourage, be encouraged alone with the Lord. But it's also uh, encouraging community where we can share temptations we can confess, we can stay in the light, we can encourage one another, we can be encouraged, we can be strengthened. So uh, Jesus, of course, in the temptation, just had the angels with him, uh, and he had the spirit with him. So he had encouraging community in the midst of that. Uh, and if he needed that, then we need it like, you know, a million X. So it's the idea of building encouraging community. And this is what I hope uh, is happening in a, in a daily basis wherever you are. But the, this morning, I'm hoping that that will come out of these table discussions that we're going to start in a minute. And then the last word is halak. Say halak. halak. This is the I promise that God is always with us. And it's the invitation to enjoy friendship with God. The Father adopted us, as we prayed at the beginning. We're his sons. Jesus is with us always till the very end of the age. And we are his friends. We are his friends. And the Holy Spirit is with us to give us power, revelation, and continuous filling as we ask. So these are the, these are the core strategies to build into our lives so that when temptation comes, when uh, difficulty comes, we, we know where to go. We know where to go. Uh, Matthew 18 says... Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two, or, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. In Timothy 4.18, Paul says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And in Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So this is kingdom power. It belongs to us. It's our delegated authority. It is the way that God has designed to us to be able to overcome the enemy, the world, and our flesh. And to be victorious men living in gospel nobility. So, um, with that, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to discuss um, at your tables uh, three points of discussion. First, uh, have each of you share which of the three temptations is most difficult or prevalent for you? Uh, share an example or a pattern of that, uh, and hopefully I've given some examples of how to do that, and discuss details and encourage each other. So we're going to go around once with the thing that is most difficult for you. Then we're going to go around the second time, and we're going to ask, which of the three temptations do you most easily defeat? Where have you had the most success? Uh, and share an example there and discuss and encourage each other. And then thirdly, we're going to pray for each other to bind up evil spiritual forces and release the blessing of God over 
each other. So you're going to do that at your tables. <clears throat> and <clears throat> I'm going to, and then I encourage you to set a time when you could meet together and follow up uh, together, maybe once a month for the next three months or the next four months through the summer, just at your table, maybe Sunday morning. Uh, take take uh, some time and say, hey, how, how am I doing? How are you doing? And, pr- and pray for each other. So this, the second handout I've given you there is a prayer uh, to pray over your family, to pray over each other. Uh, it is a prayer, uh, comes out of the book, uh, Waking the Dead, and it is a prayer that has 42 Bible verses embedded in it. So when you're praying the word of God, this is the word of God. So this is hopefully a tool that you'll be able to uh, use and pray. So before I send you to breakouts, let me pray over us. Any questions about that? Is that clear? All right. Yeah. So Father, as we come now to the time of discussion and community, we're asking you to be with us, uh, to be able to uh, discuss and encourage each other to confess Uh, to share our failures, to share our successes, to learn from each other. And we're asking, Father, now for the Holy Spirit to come and fill each and every man. Lord, we desire to be men living in gospel nobility like Jesus. Uh, Lord, we ask that you empower us uh, by your Spirit to speak the truth in love to one another, to pray for one another. Uh, And Lord, to leave here today with a sense of your presence, of your fullness in our lives, of your goodness, of your faithfulness, that you would use this time now to bless and encourage uh, each man. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.